0: You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast.
1: Yes, sir. people, uh, you join us on Wasaila Alama Sadiqa, truthful news, and Alhamdulillah welcoming a and sagacious with a hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, yes, uh, Lucalo has informed me that uh, both uh, Ahmad Manzur Sheikh Imam and uh, Professor Andri Duvanaga have been. Uh, a challenger, handicapped by load shedding, so uh, apologies for that. But Alhamdulillah, the show has to go on, and uh, George Galloway will be, uh, inshallah, conscientizing you for the next hour. <coughs> I'm and I'm already looking forward to that. And, uh, you know, before we get to George Galloway, i mean, a very hilarious uh, uh, situation. You know, we talk about, uh, uh, what was her name, uh, the thrust, Elizabeth thrust uh you know she admitted that they did the bombing of uh, those pipelines and so forth it's hilarious how <laughs> that her messages were uh, tapped in uh, by the uh, russian uh, secret service or agents and they uh, have exposed and imagine uh, she uh, uh, the nato allies uh, that were compromised uh, by the doings of uh, these uh, people i mean they just sell each other out left right and center But in the meantime, so much else has taken place in the world. And the one that we talk about is our Imran Khan being targeted. And Ahmad Mansour Sheikh Imam sent in his apologies. But he also sent me a press statement for immediate release, he says. And it goes on to say, the National Freedom Party, NFF, condemns the blatant assassination attempt on a former uh, Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan was shot down uh, when his uh, protest convoy came under attack. Violence can never be the solution uh, to solve uh, political differences. We need to support every person's right to protest and to disagree with the government. This uh, should be an unalienable right in every country, stated uh, this is a statement that uh, uh, MP Ahmad Mansoor Sheikh Imam, uh, made. And furthermore, he says... Uh, the NFP is concerned by the reports that the current Pakistani Prime Minister and other senior officials were behind the attempted assassinations. Uh, these reports are deeply troubling, and as a country, we need to condemn any political violence uh, carried uh, carried out by any state against a politi- political opponents. Uh, these types of actions represent uh, the onset of authoritative uh, tendencies and should be condemned with the contempt it deserves. Uh, This is what Ahmed says, and he goes on to say, the NFP uh, therefore calls uh, for calm amidst uh, rising tensions and appeals uh, to the current political leaders in Pakistan to allow the political opposition to freely express their discontent without any retribution, as uh, this will deepen uh, their democracy. Uh, Director needs uh, to keep a close eye on the situation, as we cannot uh, remain silent if there is a political repression taking place in Pakistan. South Africa has always had a good relations with uh, Pakistan and uh, we uh, regard them as our friends. However, we need uh, to be firm even with our friends, especially when they err. Uh, uh, this is uh, what uh, Ahmad uh, Mansur Sheikh Imam's uh, statement reads, and uh, Alhamdulillah, a brilliant statement indeed. And as I said, uh, the rest of the program will be dedicated uh, to George Galloway uh, with his thoughts, his views, the master, uh, the king of alternative news. And I'm sure you can already enjoy every minute of his as I would. And inshallah, so sit back and enjoy. And uh, on the board this evening, yes, is none other than Lucalo, who's taking care of everything. So inshallah, let's go and uh, listen to George Galloway.
0: state of virtual war exists between Russia and the United Kingdom. Never in second place, the United Kingdom's hatred of everything Russian, everything in Moscow, everything in the Kremlin, is now vividly on display. The British bombed the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. The British launched an attack on the Black Sea fleet of the Russian Federation yesterday, The British were involved in the attack on the civilian infrastructure of the Kerch Bridge leading between the mainland of Russia and the Crimea. How do we know all this? Because Russia had illegally hacked the private telephone of the briefly British Prime Minister Liz Trust. Liz Trust, we can say, did not have time for the spycraft class at the Foreign Office. We know that the British did it because she texted Antony Blinken, the US Secretaries of State, one minute after the explosion of the Nord Stream pipelines with the heavily coded words, It's done. She is more Austin Powers than James Bond, I'll give you that but then she wasn't long in the job. This was one minute after the explosion and before anybody else in the world even knew that the explosion had taken place. The fact that the Russians could so easily hack the phone of the British Prime Minister is a remarkable thing, especially as they were using the Israeli invented spyware Pegasus software, which is represented in court if you want to take a legal action against them, by none other than Cherie Blair KC, the wife of the former British Prime Minister Tony Blair. Curiouser and curiouser. Israeli spyware enabled the Kremlin to listen in and read the messages of the British Prime Minister and the British Prime Minister was so stupid; she gave away British culpability of a top secret terrorist operation directly to the phone of the U.S. Secretary of State, and without the use of codes. She could have said, "It's raining in London," or "Is it raining in Washington?" or "Have you hand your washing out to dry?" But no, she texted the words, "It's done." Well, it's done now, Liz. The Russians know that you did it. That you did it, moreover, not just against Russia, but against your own NATO allies, in Germany in particular, uh, but also in Sweden and Denmark. Friendly allied countries had their infrastructure destroyed or their territorial sovereignty assailed, By you, by your special boat service commanded from the Admiralty building in Whitehall in London. You placed the machinery that was able to be located by the American airplane that flew all the way from the USA and bombed the locators that your special boat service had placed there. It was an Anglo-American operation of some bravery and some skill. And there will be people in Whitehall buzzing that I'm calling them out right now for doing this. But I believe that just as a small cloud can be a harbinger of great storms to come, this action against the Nord Stream by the Anglo-American Axis is that small cloud. And it is a harbinger of great cloud, great storms to come. And those storms will look like this. Increasingly, on the European mainland, the country, the people, and even now the governments of mainland Europe are tiring of the UK-US suicide mission that they have been forced to undertake. They will not forgive an attack costing billions and costing even more importantly potentially the lives of tens of thousands of people who will freeze to death in europe in the coming months they will not forget the way that the euro and the european economy has been sacrificed for the dollar and for the economy of the united states of america they will not forget that american nuclear weapons New nuclear weapons have now been ceded on American bases throughout their territory, making them an instantaneous target in an intermediate-range nuclear exchange of weapons, which may very well happen as a result of the Ukraine war. They will not forget the interference in their political, economic, and sovereign internal affairs that Britain and the United States in particular have been responsible for. And so the great storm to which I refer is one in which Britain and the United States become increasingly isolated in public opinion first and isolated formally, politically and economically. Macron and Schultz are busily preparing a legal challenge against the United States' unfair economic practices, its false notions of capitalist competition, and that court action is about to begin. And that, too, is a sign of things to come. Europe, which was inching towards a Eurasian engagement in its future, has now become profoundly alienated from Britain and the United States. And that is not in the interests of the people of britain or the people of the united states it's going to happen slowly but surely and i have no doubt how it will end it will end with a rapprochement between russia and germany and france and by definition the smaller fish that sail along in the wake of the uh, at the franco-german political and economic alliance. The isolation of Britain and the United States will leave it few friends in the world. The five eyes, yes, but those eyes are dimming. And as the Russian hack of Liz Truss's telephone makes clear, they're not the only people with eyes and with ears in at the top table of the powers. Now, poor Paul Pelosi got hammered the other night, in San Francisco. I don't mean that he got blindly drunk, although he's fond of doing so. Only recently he was in court for driving with four times the allowable amount of alcohol in his blood. Nancy was in Washington, D.C., committing other crimes, but Paul Pelosi may very well have been back on the sauce the other night, but none of that would justify someone assaulting him with a, hammer. What would be an entirely private affair where Paul Pelosi was before he got hammered and who he was with in the house when he got hammered and how and why he got hammered and whether the hammer was his first or his assailant's hammer is of course purely between the San Francisco police and poor Paul Pelosi except in this regard. The attempt has been made just in advance of the midterm election to make this a political electoral issue, to imply that the assailant, who may or may not also, as I say, have been in his underpants, oddly, as he lives in Berkeley, California, it's a long way to San Francisco. And don't forget Mark Twain's famous remark that the uh, coldest winter he ever experienced was summer in san francisco so it's chilly there in your underpants how the man got into the house is of course a matter now for the police but to blame it on the republican party to blame it on donald trump to blame it on maga americans that a gay nudist swinger ended up battering paul pelosi over the head is a bit of a stretch if you will forgive the pun. Now, I look forward to more information. Don't you? If I haven't caught your imagination by now, I'm unlikely ever to. But Elon Musk, the new owner of Twitter, and I hope better than the oligarchs that went before, was quick to link the article which claimed that Pelosi had been prior to the incident in a gay bar until two o'clock in the morning in San Francisco. Heaven knows there are plenty there to choose from. Now, as I say, I've no idea if that story is true, but Elon Musk is not a lightweight man to have circulated it. If it is true, then I regard it as an entirely private affair. One of Musk's ownership of Twitter, The entirely arbitrary cap on my followers at 440,000 would appear to have been lifted virtually at the instant that Musk entered the building (coughs) because thousands of people were quickly added to my list of followers. I was assailed by people telling me they were now seeing my tweets for the first time in many months, eight months to be Precise. 80% output on Twitter was deliberately suppressed by the oligarchs who owned Twitter prior to Elon Musk's takeover. He says he's going to have a content moderation panel, a council, he called it. I immediately applied for the job. After all, I'm a parliamentarian of some note, almost 30 years, six parliamentary terms. I'm an avid user of Twitter. I have hundreds of thousands of followers with 10 scores, maybe hundreds of millions of impressions on my tweets over a very long period, some 12, 13, maybe more years on Twitter. I think I'm ideal for the job, Elon. I'm a person of the left, of conservative, cultural views. I'm a person who believes in freedom of speech. And I'm a person who believes that you need to reinstate Donald Trump because the injustice that he suffered in being struck from social media platforms whilst the most powerful elected politician in the world scarcely needs to be overstated. And when you add... Twitter's own role in suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story, which is going to become the biggest story of 2023. Write that down. Remember, you heard it here. It's going to be a story that will involve shady business dealings, not just by Hunter Biden, the crack cocaine addict, the sex addict, the man with a taste for very young girls, added. But the role of Joe Biden in Hunter Biden's life will be revealed if power changes hand next Thursday, a week on Thursday in the midterm elections. And lastly, in 1966, England hosted the World Cup and a very good job they made of it too. I recall it vividly and happily, leading, thanks to a Russian linesman, to an England victory, the only England victory ever in the history of the World Cup. I'll never forget the sunshine gleaming on Jules Rimet in the hand of the English golden boy Bobby Moore. But at the time that England was hosting the World Cup, British soldiers, English and Scottish, were literally murdering Yemenis on the streets of Aden. Nobody said then that England was not a fit and proper place to host a World Cup. Gay people in England were committing criminal offences at the time if they engaged in their love for each other. England had had, until then, 200 years of imperial conquest, including the preeminent role in the organization of international slavery at the time we hosted the World Cup. Not that long before, not even a century before, we had bombarded China to punish them for refusing permission for us to ship Indian heroin onto the streets of China. We bombarded them until they concluded an unequal treaty with us and gave us some of their territory and the usual concessions. Why do I mention all of this? Because I'm just wondering what Qatar did to deserve the wholesale talk of boycotting and rubbishing that they are currently suffering because they're hosting the World Cup. If you're a drinker who cannot go to a football match without alcohol in your hands, give this one a miss, boys, and watch the World Cup on television with all the cans of special brew you can sink, because in Qatar you're not allowed to drink alcohol in public. You can drink it in your hotel. Many do. But you cannot take it to the game. You cannot swagger through the streets getting drunk and throwing chairs at the supporters of other countries because that's just not within the customs, never mind the laws of the Arabs of the Persian Gulf and Qatar in particular. If you are going to the World Cup with your gay lover, Why not be discreet in deference to the cultural mores of the people whose country you're visiting, who are your hosts? Not be saying you can't have private hold with that in Qatar. Respect the local people. Respect the local customs. Or don't go. Hold hands in front of a... The World Cup's been held in America, which has invaded and occupied... 50 countries since the end of the Second World War. The World Cup has been held in all kinds of countries whose crimes are far, far greater than any crime ever committed by the people or the government of Qatar. Now, I have nothing to do with Qatar. They haven't sent me a single ticket for their World Cup tournament. I have zero relations with Qatar but I never stay silent when somebody is being bullied in the way that Qatar is currently being bullied. I thought that Donald Trump uh, put it well but that uh, Vladimir Putin put it better in his three-hour statement in Valdai this week. Can you imagine? Joe Biden speaking live for three hours. He said this, the West are entitled to their beliefs that there are dozens of genders. They're entitled to their gay parades, but they shouldn't try to force them onto other people. What about that statement did Putin get wrong? Controversial, I know. I'm sure the switchboard is jammed already, but it's Scott Ritter coming up first. You don't want to miss Marine Officer, former esteemed weapons inspector, and the biggest viewed guest on the mother of all talk shows. By a distance, Scott Ritter, welcome back. Can we start with that minor point? Did it come as a surprise to you that your Twitter account was reinstated?
2: My Twitter account wasn't reinstated. I I reinstated myself. Um, The the original Twitter account continues to be banned. I took advantage of um, Elon Musk's bold statement that the bird is free. And so to test that theory, I reinstated myself onto uh, Twitter by uh, creating an illegal account. It's in my name. I'm not hiding who I am. Um and then I tested uh, Elon Musk by um making the following statement the uh, Bucha was a war crime Ukraine did it and within 12 hours Twitter banned me so I wasn't reinstated I reinstated myself I repeated the same type of tweet that got me banned in the first place and proving that uh, the, there is truth and wisdom to the old Who song, Won't Get Fooled Again, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. I'm banned, I'm on appeal, and I'm waiting to find out what Elon Musk is going to do about it.
0: Well, that is breaking news, I must say. Some of the man buns have not yet been fired, and this might be their uh, rearguard action. Uh, Scott, I certainly hope so, and I apologise for assuming the best uh, of Elon Musk in in this particular case. But uh, 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 leaving aside the minor issue of uh, social media platforms, we learned today uh, that uh, the British did it. It was British special forces that uh, paved the way at least, lit the path at least, for the US destruction of property worth billions belonging to one of their allies, Germany, and their current adversary, Russia, in the Nord Stream pipelines. And we learn today that the reason we know that is that the Russians were reading the text messages sent on an ordinary iPhone by the British Prime Minister. To the u s Secretary of State, all of that's quite uh, uh, quite startling
2: to me, uh, Scott. How is it to you it's extraordinarily startling it's uh, stunning um, I mean, of course, if uh, Ian Fleming was alive, uh, we'd be reading about it as you know bold and daring uh, you know, he who dares kind of stuff, but um, it's grossly irresponsible because the pipeline you know isn't a uh, Nazi pipeline. Um, The pipeline is a multinational pipeline uh, that services Germany and Europe. So um, I guess the British decided that uh, he who dares uh, should dare to attack their own allies because that's what this was, a a bold, and I'm being as sarcastic as as I could be, attack against Germany, against fellow Europeans, against the European economy, against Europe's lifeline. Um, now Europe will suffer, uh, and there's been an effort to blame the Russians, but the only people apparently they have to blame is the British. And their American masters, by the way, because I don't believe for a second that uh, the British would have done this without uh, a green light from Washington, D.C. What do you th- When's revenue going to be deployed by the British Prime Minister? It's done, she texted to Blinken. That's deep cover, that, isn't it? Uh, extraordinarily deep cover, and um, again, um, I think it shows the complicity of the United States. It's done, meaning that um, what's done? It has to stand for something. In this case, it was the destruction of the Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 pipelines, Uh, and this also points to um, earlier collaboration between these two countries to take out a piece of German-slash-European energy infrastructure it's done well the only thing it's done is you know her career and um uh, anybody else's career who continues to follow down this path this is suicidal it's suicidal for europe and their economy um but you know this is dangerous because there's news came out today that uh, apparently the russians have found evidence to show that uh, the british were behind Uh, the Ukrainian abuse of the humanitarian, you know, outlet that had been created for the shipment of food, using that as a cover to carry out a drone attack against the Russian fleet in Sevastopol. Um, And how has Russia responded? They've shut down the humanitarian channel, they've closed it, saying that it's being abused by the Ukrainians and by their British masters. So. It appears that England's doing everything but declaring war against Russia. And at some point in time, Britain has to understand that there will be a price to be paid by the British people. You know, right now they're getting away with it because apparently Britain falls into the same heroic category as the United States, willing to fight to the last Ukrainian. But if England wants to go ahead and put its thumbprint on everything, then England's going to pay a price. I don't know what that price is. I mean, I think the first price is you're going to get very hungry this winter because all of the food that was leaving Odessa was apparently headed to uh, British you know, markets. Um, but this is, this is terrible. I mean, what, what does England think? This is going to be a free ride. Humanitarian uh, you know, outlet that had been created for the shipment of food, using that as a cover to carry out a drone attack against the Russian fleet in Sevastopol, Um, And how has Russia responded? They've shut down the humanitarian channel, they've closed it, saying that it's being abused by the Ukrainians and by their British masters. So it appears that England's doing everything but declaring war against Russia, and at some point in time, Britain has to understand that there will be a price to be paid by the British people. You know, right now they're getting away with it because apparently Britain falls into the same heroic category as the United States willing to fight to the last Ukrainian. But if England wants to go ahead and put its thumbprint on everything, then England's going to pay a price. I don't know what that price is. I mean I think the first price is you're going to get very hungry this winter because all of the food that was leaving Odessa was apparently headed to uh, British you know markets. Um, but this is this is terrible. I mean what, what does England think? this is going to be a free ride. You can attack a great nation like Russia and just get away with it, hide behind Article 5 forever, hide behind, you know, America's skirts forever. You've been out in England. You're a warmongering, pathetic little excuse of a nation, and you're going to pay a price. Well,
0: it's only exactly 100 years ago that British forces were fighting in Russia to bring about a regime change there. I'm writing something at the moment uh, about that. So watch this uh, space. On the war more broadly, Scott, uh, what's your take on the current battlefield situation now? And when does General Winter arrive on the battlefield? And what will be the impact of that?
2: Well, my take is to just take the words of um, General a General Armageddon, the new Russian commander. The situation is tense. And what I mean by that is war is hell. There's a lot of fighting going on and men are dying on both sides, but primarily on the Ukrainian side. Uh, They're being thrown into battle unprepared uh, without little preparation in terms of tactics, And they're being slaughtered by the Russians who have solidified their defenses and are fighting for the first time uh, in accordance with their doctrine. Um, The Russians are building up their strength while the Ukrainians are depleting their strength. And neither NATO nor the United States or Great Britain are able to provide uh, resources uh, in the quantities necessary to replace that which is being lost. So even if they're willing to fight to the last Ukrainian, uh, the Ukrainians are going to run out of equipment at a faster rate than NATO can replenish it. Uh, General Winter is on his way. Um, let's, let's just be very blunt about this. In Russia, lights will be on. Gas will be provided to homes. People will not freeze to death. In Ukraine right now, the uh, electric grid is being shut down by the Russians. Um, the Ukrainian people are going to be freezing. They're going to be hungry and they're going to be literally operating in the dark. Um, That's never a good thing for troops at the front line. There's going to be a lot of Ukrainians worrying about what's going on back home, especially those who have just been recently conscripted forcefully off the streets. Uh, Their will to fight will be minimal. Not only that, many of the people who are conscripted do not have access to cold-weather gear. So as it gets colder, they're getting colder, unlike each Russian a uh, soldier who has been recently mobilized who has been handed a full, full complement of cold weather gear. Uh, the Russians have the ability to rotate rotate troops out of the front lines into the rear areas to get warm, to get well fed, to get rested before they rotate back in. Ukraine doesn't have that luxury. Their troops are going to the front line where they will stay until they either are dead, wounded, captured, or they retreat uh, under pressure from uh, the Russian soldiers. Uh, General Winter will be used to the full advantage of the Russians. In some areas, the Russians will probably uh, call for a lull. They're digging in. They're creating defensive lines. In other areas, the Russians will continue the attack because the Russians are trained to carry out offensive operations in the winter. And eventually, um, you know, General Winter will depart the area and we will find Ukraine far weaker at the end of winter than they were going into the winter. We'll find a nation nearly evaporated in terms of a cohesive uh, country that is capable of feeding itself, uh, heating itself. Uh, it will be totally at the mercy of a Europe that itself is going to be going through difficult times. Ukraine is about to become the abandoned nation of the world. And when that happens, it will be the lowest possible fruit to be plucked by the Russian military, which hasn't forgotten why they're there to begin with.
0: Will the fighting continue a high pitch, uh, notwithstanding the winter weather? To what extent does heavy snow and very, very cold conditions alter the uh, pace and character of events on the battlefield?
2: Right now the Ukrainians are involved in um, uh, very intensive offensive operations. They will not be able to sustain this into the winter they would be compelled to fall back into prepared defensive positions. What does the snow do? Right now, the Ukrainians in prepared defensive positions have the luxury of having foliage over their head that shields them from drones and uh, reconnaissance photographs. Um, when the fall, the leaves fall. and When that happens, they no longer have that cover. And while you might be safe in a bunker, meaning you could avoid detection, eventually you'll have to depart that bunker to get resupplied take care of um, mother nature, uh, whatever. And when you do that, your footprints will be shown leaving the bunker and coming back into the bunker. And a Russian drone is going to see that, and they're going to drop a bomb on you. They're going to hit you with artillery shells. As your vehicles move in, the tracks point a little arrow straight to where the vehicles are, and they will be destroyed. Russia has an overwhelming superiority, both in the ability to pump uh, uh, targets on the Ukrainians, but then put steel on those targets. This winter is going to be all about dead Ukrainians. The Russians are going to be stacking them like firewood. Uh, this is going to be a very, very difficult winter for the Ukrainians. Uh, the majority of the soldiers who are going to be on the front lines are going to either be killed or wounded. There won't be too many of them left when this is dark-
0: You were here, Scott, you introduced us all to the uh, exotic practice of sheep dipping, (laughs) uh, into which I've been looking uh, more closely. I've been looking at the names of many of the dead, the passports, uh, pictures of many of the dead on the Ukrainian side. There's a very remarkable number of Polish names and Polish passports there. How many do you think... Uh, foreign soldiers, either mercenaries or maybe even special forces
2: from foreign countries are fighting on the Ukrainian side? Well, it's a significant number. I, I would be loath to try and put a precise number on it because, frankly speaking, I don't know. I do know that the Russians have claimed to kill tens of thousands of them, primarily Poles, a lot of Romanians, um, and also a smattering of people from, from Western countries. I do know that Russian intelligence has been speaking of tens of thousands of Polish soldiers uh, who have been brought over and transformed into Ukrainian soldiers since uh, this summer. And that practice is continuing. Um, You know, the the Ukrainian army, uh, there was an interview done with a Ukrainian special forces colonel. Uh, And he's, you know, his unit was NATO capable, uh, trained alongside NATO prior to this conflict, was considered to be interoperable with his NATO counterparts. And he said, I've lost 80 percent of my men, 80 percent. And everybody they replaced them with have no training. These guys don't know what to do. So you call me special forces. There's nothing special about what my guys do right now. We, we, We can't do anything special. That's the entire Ukrainian army. Uh, they, they're, they're recruiting people, mobilizing people, bringing them to the front lines, but they're not well trained. They're not elite by any sense of the word. Um, and they lack motivation. This is the importance of the mercenaries because these mercenaries are either, um, sheep dipped Polish troops, sheep dipped Romanian troops, or they are not the, uh, airsoft, um, you know, fake wannabes that came over early on, you know former guys who served as an admin clerk during the Afghan war, who suddenly wanted to become a combat veteran and came to, uh, came to Ukraine only to die. Uh, the guys that are coming now are recruited as, you know, uh, by, uh, these, these private military contractors who are looking for what they call executive protection experience. That's code word for the kind of uh, bodyguard service that special forces provide. And, um, These guys are leading the assault, and there's lots of them. We see video after video of people speaking uh, English uh, with various accents. Um, But the other thing about them is, um, like the Ukrainians, they're dying in large numbers. They're not going to turn the tide of battle. I do think we're going to see more and more Polish troops come in as Poland prepares for what I believe to be a foolish gambit, and that is to... um, seize Western Ukraine. Uh, It won't involve the Polish army pouring across the border because the Polish army is already in Ukraine. Entire battalions are coming over, sheep dip, and then joining the Ukrainian service. And those battalions can, you know, be cleansed of whatever it is that transformed them from a wolf to a sheep and go back to being a wolf right there on Western Ukraine. Um, And this is an escalation that I'm, I'm very concerned about as Ukraine... Uh, is more and more comprehensively defeated uh, on the eastern front, on the southern front, that Poland is going to say, now's the time, we need to act now. Scott Ritter,
0: I do hope your appeal succeeds on the Twitter in Scotland.
3: On Liz Truss, who's she? Go ahead, Martin. Uh, good evening, George. Um, good, to, good to speak to you again. Good evening. Uh, George, uh, Liz Truss and Ben Wallace have... Uh, exposed the British people to involvement in a, a needless war, a war which no uh, sane individual seeks, I would say. The terrorist acts on the Nord Stream and the Curse Bridge, which were carried out on the instruction of, the, of these two imbeciles, should surely lead to their arrest, uh, their trial and their imprisonment. 44 days in power, uh, and in her effort to impress, she has not only ruined the economy which has also brought war to, almost to our doorstep. That's my question.
0: Well, I think that's a... Well, it's not a question, but it is a brilliant statement and perfectly, succinctly expressed. It's hard to believe that Liz Truss did so much damage in so little time. I'm sure Mr Churchill would have found a way to express that. In 44 days, she saw off Her Majesty the Queen. She destroyed the British economy and she has placed us now right at the centre, in the bullseye of the confrontation between Russia and NATO. And as Scott Ritter put it, delicately enough, there'll be a price to pay for this. The Russians hate the British state because the British state has been more than any other state responsible for crimes against the Russian people and the wider Soviet people, uh, more responsible for more crimes than anybody else. Uh, British antipathy towards Russia doesn't just go back, of course, uh, to the period I refer to about which I'm writing, uh, of the British-led... Intervention led by Churchill, as a matter of fact, opposed by Lloyd George, driven by Churchill, in which scores of thousands of British soldiers were sent home, uh, not home from the First World War, which they expected, but sent to the frozen wastes of Russia instead to interfere, intervene in the Russian Civil War to bring about a victory for the white armies and the restoration of the monarchy there, the defeat of uh, Lenin and, and Bolshevik power. The enmity and bad blood goes back much longer than that, as Ben Wallace, of all people, should know, because he was a military officer in the Scots Guards, who were the people on the charge of the Light Brigade in, into the guns <laughs> On and on they rode and were slain in huge numbers in the Crimean War. The Scots guards of the British army. So the enmity is long and deep. But the Russians today are in a much stronger position economically, politically, in terms of soft power, in terms of cyber power. are at the Crimean War Ever was. The Russians are capable of reading the text messages of the British Prime Minister sitting in Downing Street. If they are capable of that, you can be sure that they are capable of much more. And sadly, if the shooting starts, Martin, we are right on the front line, before anyone else. Before Washington because that would mean literally World War Three, but before Berlin, before Paris, before any of the other European countries, London, Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool, Glasgow, we will be eviscerated, obliterated, turned into ash as a result of actions taken by Liz Truss who wouldn't know one end of Eurasia from the other, who couldn't tell which cities were in Russia and which were in Ukraine, who didn't know her Baltic from her Black Sea, who doesn't know her arse from her elbow, who was so stupid she became the shortest living prime minister in British history, has just put us right in the centre of the firing line. Thanks, Martin. Tony's in Liverpool on the same subject. Go ahead, Tony. Evening, George. How are you, mate?
3: Good, mate. Good. Listen, um, this is catastrophic for the United uh, Kingdom and the United States diplomatically. I mean, Liz Truss has basically blown the gaff. Um, and as you well know, she was also the Foreign Secretary for the period in which uh, scenario she would be the head of mi6 as well so you can only imagine what she's been sending on an unsecured personal mobile phone or cell phone as, as they call them in the united states and russia has been monitoring and intercepting all of this uh, traffic from her phone uh, for the past year so god only knows what she's been sending on that um, and as for Germany, now they know exactly who did it, if they didn't already, which they may have done, but now they've had it uh, rubbed, in, rubbed in, their noses have been rubbed in the, in the, in the dirt. Uh, it's quite clear that this is an attack on German infrastructure, uh, NATO ally, and I'm sure the International Criminal Court and the United Nations may well want to see the evidence which is uh, you know, available if they want to peruse this evidence. Well, uh,
0: uh, Anglo-German enmity is, of course, uh, equally ancient uh, to the Anglo-Russian enmity of which I've just been speaking. Uh, But Germany now knows, to use your words, it was Britain that attacked it. It was uh, the British Navy which destroyed a multi-billion euro piece of German infrastructure and doomed Germany to a bitterly cold winter and a collapsing economy, with German industry literally shipping out as we speak. The BASF uh, factory has been unbolted from the floor and shipped to China, where it will be reassembled and BASF's highly profitable, very advanced, uh, semiconductor and other electronic products will be Uh, now constructed in Germany, in uh, China, rather than in Germany. German industries are already slowing down as a prelude to closing down. German citizens are applying to go and work and live in the United States. Germany has been attacked. Germany is falling, and it is falling not at the hands of the Russians, But at the hands of their supposed allies, the United States and the United Kingdom, and the greatest irony of all, Tony, must be that we only know this thanks to the Israeli spyware that Russia was employing and had installed on Liz Truss's telephone. Let's hope she wasn't up to no good, if you know what I mean, Tony on her mobile telephone. Now, uh, people can
4: donate to our the economy. Go ahead, Gerard. Good evening, George, thanks for taking the call. Um, I wanted to get in contact yeah. about worldwide property prices. There's um, quite a lot of thought that if you were to bring down property prices to a reasonable level, both commercial and uh, residential, that people would have a lot more disposable income. So for instance, in the UK, the, the average salary is 38k which means you net about 2,462 that's not your nurses that's not your firemen that's not your public services now the average rent is 1143 so it doesn't take a genius to work out that that's over what it should be which is around 30 percent i'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are that if we were able to bring down especially commercial rents which they're far too high because they're not in relation to what the business like a small eatery or a small shop would make, how it could improve our economy. Because there would be small shops which statistically pay more rent, uh, sorry, more tax. Uh, they would drive growth. And also by people having less money to spend on their rent would have more money to spend elsewhere, which according to uh, the Trust Meister General would bring us growth. So if we could... If we could reduce rent worldwide, because it's a problem in the Western world, everywhere, people would have a lot more disposable income. I wonder what your thoughts were on that.
0: Well, it's a very intelligent question. I'm not really the expert uh, on this subject, and I don't own a house in Britain, so uh, I'm not really aware of what the property market is currently doing. I would have thought, given the... Economic prospects that uh, house prices were falling uh, but I understand that not only are they not falling they are rising which seems to me economic uh, lunacy but that's the capitalist system that we live in uh, I've never understood and long made this point why Britain is so infatuated with owning uh, houses rather than renting them, after all, for many, many people, not everyone, uh, your house is the place you go to sleep in and wake up in, and you're out all day and all evening. Uh, It's uh, a, a trifle perverse that such a high proportion of our people's incomes are tied up in house prices. But as long as that bubble keeps inflating, then I suppose everyone's a winner except... When it reaches the point that new people cannot get on the property ladder because the supply of housing uh, is not keeping pace uh, with the number of people who want on that market in countries like france and in germany not only is there a far higher percentage of people who rent rather than buy their houses that in places like berlin rents are controlled now Uh, Controlling rents obviously produces a supply problem if the owners of the rented uh, properties decide that they don't like the level of controlled rents that we have and we're not going to invest our money anymore in property to let. Uh, But that can be solved by the state. The state can build and should build millions of new homes for rent, controlled by the local authority, and therefore you get the chance to elect or unelect your landlord every year, every two, three, four years. That's surely the best form of housing tenure. And it would be an economic generator of enormous proportions because the houses would all be built by our own people. The material that would be used would all be quarried and manufactured in our own country, in our own factories and by our own workforce. It would be an enormous economic generator and would solve the problem of homelessness and overcrowding and poor housing at a stroke. I add only one point. I'm not an expert, uh, Gerard, as I said, but I, I add this point. As I look around the country, and I travel a lot, I'm in Stockport in a few days. Uh, We sold out a month ago, so you can't get tickets now, but uh, I'll be in Stockport, and I'm going to Manchester for a meeting later in uh, north of the High Street. Now, being old-fashioned, that makes me a little bit sad, but it's probably irrevocable. But why don't we use the property that is increasingly shuttered up on our high streets for housing. We could turn these properties into good quality and by definition, well-situated, right in the centre, property uh, that uh, people could live in. Uh, I've talked before about department stores. My friends in the department store industry, and you know who you are, Tell me that getting shoppers to go to the second floor, never mind the third, fourth, fifth floor of department stores, is virtually impossible for retailers now. Why not turn the second, third, fourth and fifth floor of retail properties into flats owned by the local authority, owned by the state and let to people at affordable rents? That would solve more than one set of problems
1: yes uh we'll leave it at that and alhamdulillah fascinating indeed uh, so much of uh you know i can call this a uh, world-class information coming from alternative news and uh, George galloway making a lot of sense about those buildings you see uh, you know buildings in our part of the world are being captured and being hijacked instead of the local municipalities uh you know developing them uh renting it out and uh, getting a, a sustainable income so for the betterment of the city and the betterment of uh, the province and so forth. But uh, there's a visionary talking, and uh, all, one should know that he was also a parliamentarian for many, many years. How many years? He said 30 years he has been there. And uh, someone even asked him, why are you not the Prime Minister of Britain? And he says, uh, yeah, that wasn't meant to be. Well said, well said indeed. So inshallah, once again, I'd like to thank uh, uh, Lukalo for doing uh, brilliant engineering. And I uh, keep it locked on to Marka Sahaba for beautiful programming and a lot of knowledge coming through from the team. And I, till we meet you again, we bid you, Asalaamu Alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.